It is the color of a bleached skull, his flesh, and the long hair which flows below his shoulders is milk white. From the tapering, beautiful head stare two slanting eyes, crimson and moody, and from the loose sleeves of his yellow gown emerge two slender hands, also the color of bone. Elric of Melnibone, Michael Moorcock. Hello and welcome to episode 14, by some count, and episode 11, by other counts, of Rogues in the House podcast. I'm here, finally, after a hiatus, with my good buddies Matt and Logan. Logan, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm hot and I'm sweaty, um, but I'm good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It, it's exciting it, it, this is you know our first podcast in a while so a month uh, yeah that's a how I, that's why you get all hot and sweaty that's exactly it uh and matt we hear you uh giggling over there how's it going <laughs> uh it's very well actually today is a special day because um i finally have some freedom in my life nice uh, i've been i've been incredibly busy for feels like forever uh juggling jobs etc and i just finished a woodworking uh course for my technology cohort i'm doing for my job upgrade so i've been in a a wood shop for the last two weeks which actually awesome. is it, it, it has been awesome um but i'm i'm just tired and i'm looking at some some days of freedom coming up which is it's it's a delicious wind blowing into my life did your lamp turn on in the end that's a little breakfast club reference for you uh no i uh i think i catch your reference but uh i actually made two awesome things i made a tankard and i made a mallet like a milnir shaped mallet <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> and that's they both cool. turned out pretty well so that's yeah. great yeah it's not bad i, w- I want to see the tankard i'd have to get up yeah but, no uh, no d- don't do that now we're actually live on air right now don't worry, bro. I'll post it on social media, and you guys can all give me your likes. Good. Bruh. Good. I like it. I, I will give you my thumb up. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we're, you, we're, we're old, so we only do the Facebook social media. That's, that is true. <laughs> that is kind of sad. Are there other ones? <laughs> yeah, there's a, Instagram, something. Instagram, Twitter. Instagram, I have an Instagram for myself. Yeah, you just hashtag things, and then you just like do duck lips at stuff. Logan is yeah, an important figure in my life. Stuff trying to promote my uh, my own works that I am either appearing in. I did another art commission not too long ago. Um, actually, I got paid for it yesterday. Nice. No, two days ago. Cash money. And um, in December, I'm going to self-publish my own novel. And some people don't necessarily think that self-publishing is all that big of an accomplishment. But I'm going to do it. So That's pretty cool. Finishing a novel is an accomplishment either way. Absolutely, you're you're sort of my touch point to uh, the youth. So you're gonna have to the youth. Yeah, you're gonna have to stay young. Okay, I can do that. Just, just know that after you self-publish your novel, no publisher will ever look at it. Yeah, FYI. that's yeah. As long as you know okay. that, I can pretend I'm a publisher and look at it. Like, cosplay, cosplay yes. is a publisher. Yeah, see, I'll pretend. Pretend to, a, <laughs> pretend to be an agent to be like, listen, I just saw this book. I want to offer you a big contract. I don't think agents offer contracts, but you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> they help you get them. 
Yeah, Mr. Uh, Logan, see, I'd like to offer you $10 million for your... Is it your, an offer I can't work. refuse? 10 million US Americano dollars. Yeah, everyone gets that $10 million book deals. Uh, yeah. First timers, for sure, man. No, I have no, I have no dream of making millions, but I would like to pay one bill with my earnings one day. Well, so I, we actually do have a podcast to do. Uh, first time in a month, over a month. Just yeah. about. Uh, we, we skipped June um, because of conflicts, vacations, things like that. But we're back with it. And today we have an awesome episode because we are covering Elric of Melnibone. Is that the correct way to say it? Yes. I believe so. I, I think you're right. I just want to make sure because we're going to say it a lot. I'm certain of it because it is what that's been. how it is in the audiobook that's exactly what i was gonna say and part of it is read by michael moorcock himself i was so. also going to say that <laughs> how's, he, how's, how's he gonna know how's he gonna know, he gonna know? <laughs> the earth is flat <laughs> so melnibone not melnibone that's actually how i pronounced it in my head when i first encountered the character yeah i mean yeah, i could say I that well. melnibone there was a little accent above the E, which I promptly ignored. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like that must mean bone. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, why don't we do our uh, our usual format and we hit uh, the good old uh, points of interest via the bazaar of the bazaar? Mm-hmm. Yep. We say that. Yes. We say via. Vis-a-vis. That's a dry erase marker brand. It is. Yeah. Sweet. Well, we're going to have to talk about that on our Dry Erase podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Never a worse podcast. That's actually why we took a month off was because we started the Dry Erase podcast. You wouldn't believe it. We had zero listens. Yeah. (laughs) Zero listens. We were trying to branch out. We were going to venture into a few different things. Actually, we had some, but but we erased them. They were erased. All right, this is poor form, gentlemen. Let's get into it. <laughs> okay. Right. Bizarre the bizarre. Who wants to go first? Um, I'll go first. Um, I'm prepared for this. Yeah, you actually Maybe took a little notes. bit extra time. Do yeah. it. So, um, there's a lot of things I could talk about because it has been like over a month since we've actually like met. Um, I did go to Peru. Uh, there were winners for the Rogue Blade Entertainment contest. Uh, congratulations to you two again, but that's long past. Um. I think also in that time, things have been announced. Like we've seen pictures of the Witcher series, which looks cool to me. Mm. Um, and this one actually comes to me today because I was talking to one of our uh, our friends, Keith Johnson, and he read the Savage Sword comic book that came out today. Um, and he said there's a weird part in it where they seem to go in excruciating detail about the rules of this particular gambling game that Conan was playing <laughs> in uh, in the in the tavern. And then shortly after that conversation, I looked online and I found why. And it's because <laughs> there is a card game, this gambling game, uh, coming out, and it's called Serpent's Bluff. You can actually download it for free to print and play on Conan.com. And there's With, a retail version that's going to be out later this year. Yeah, it's it's commendable that they did the print and play. I mean, that's always, uh, especially with a card game or something like yeah. that, where you totally can do it. It's um, 
it's shall we say showing your hand in regards to uh, <laughs> uh, but, it, but it, it it's respectable with game development because you're allowing people to have a go at the game um you're not charging them a dime if they're interested they can give it a whirl and then of course you'll you'll bring out your sexy tarot sized cards later yeah. Um, yeah so i mean that's a uh, i definitely respect that approach so clarify this for me is yeah. this a Conan card game? No, yeah. it is a game that exists in the Hyborian Age. So it's a Hyborian the Marvel Age. Comics. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's like it's wow. it's a gambling card game. Um, it seems really simple. It could be fun for like a party game, especially if like it's Halloween and some of you are dressed up like medieval esque characters and you have your tankards <laughs> and your flagons. I think that would be a lot of fun. Turns out um, I have one of those. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, the the art they have for the physical copy looks really cool. Um, I ha- haven't really read the comic yet, um, which I, I'm behind on, obviously. Um, but it, it could be fun. I do, having not read the comic, I do wish they did not so explicitly be like, hey, these are the rules to the game in the comic because it doesn't really service the story of a comic at all um one of my my best friend really loves uh like as a kid he really loved the Yu-Gi-Oh uh cartoon which is terrible for just like explaining rule dumps in the cartoon yes and and i don't like that they like pause but... the cartoon practically yeah and then narrate yeah. rules yeah i've seen it it's terrible yeah well so... i mean that's that's all tie-ins right it's yeah a... And and I'll agree. Like I, I haven't read the comic. In fact, I don't really read the Savage Sword comic because I'm not really into it. I am highly into the Barbarian uh, series, but Savage Sword didn't really grip me. Um, but I will say the redeeming piece to that is, you know, if it if it does take you out a bit, is the fact that they actually are allowing you to take the game for free. So any oh, yeah. points they might have lost, I will I will give them the points back for doing that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And it is it's smart marketing. And yeah. it's it's it has an immersion aspect, uh, which is kind of cool. I do like these kinds of things. Um, I like that it's not just like Conan explicitly pasted on it and be like Conan card game. Mm. It's yeah. just a card game that exists within the fictional world. I, I, I like I that. that. I think that's uh, that's a nicer touch than the, a Conan card game. And by the way, if anyone does uh, do this for Halloween, as Logan suggested, and you're all dressed up as Conans around uh, the table playing this, please take pictures better and send out. them yeah. in. You got to share work, that. You better work out, though. You gotta, if you're yeah. dressed up as Conan, you're popping that shirt off, boy. You better be doing your Hyborian deadlifts. <laughs> Hyborian squats, <laughs> uh, and uh, actually, yeah, that is that's a that's a that is a good point. The fact that it's not actually called like Conan the Card Game, uh, it's Serpent's Bluff, right? Serpent Serpent's Bluff. I like it. It's yeah. kind of like the Three Dragon Ante sort yeah. of. A yeah. Hyborian card game for two players. So I guess it is only two players, oh. but yeah, it well. seems quick. Um, so I'll t- yeah, I'll tell you another thing that I I get quite dubious of is games that uh are allowing for like perhaps it's designed for one player count they're like oh but we've also added this other player count option i'm always like suspicious right yeah because you designed it one way and now you're just trying to appease more numbers uh by adding more to it i just got a game like that so uh card game one deck dungeon very fun actually uh it's designed for yeah i've heard of that yeah, yeah it's 
designed for either two players or solo play. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they sort of were like, and you can just do four players by kind of like doubling everything. And it gets yeah. really, really messy. Yeah. And it's, it just doesn't seem as elegant as it should have been, you know, as it is with the with the two or solo. Right. And I mean, I say that having designed a solo co-op mode for a game that wasn't originally written for one. Right. So I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot. Yeah. But not you. I mean, you know, you did, me. you did no, it elegantly. Mine's different. No, mine's different. Yeah. No, but I mean, truly, I'm, I'm, I'm a, the way I approached it and even wrote it into the rules was that I'm not actually trying to replace anything. I'm just trying to create a rules option because people have had asked for it right. so much. Yeah. Right. So right. I think that that's really generally the spirit of these things uh, anyway, yeah. is that some, yeah. someone's going to do it anyway. So might as well that's be right. the author. I just come from like uh, some Kickstarter servicing and it's like, I hear people wanting these things all the time Mm -hmm. and I have to think to myself, but if if you're asking for something that's not already been built, created in the production timeline for when that game is supposed to ship for you, what you're really asking for is a miracle or an inferior product. But that's not going to change the internet. No. (laughs) No, it is not. (laughs) No, nothing will change that. It just gets seedier and seedier. So, uh, Logan, was that, that that was that your point of interest, or that you... was my serpent's bluff <laughs> point right, of cool. interest? Free for download on Conan.com under the freebies category. Yeah, you nailed it. That was good. You told us you you came, you uh, you've recently acquired something in the form of ten pounds. What was that, Alex? Oh, you mean my vacation? Wait. <laughs> That's exactly what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the only thing that I did on vacation uh, was eat and drink. Uh, and so I went to Aruba for uh, a good solid week. Um, and I had a little bit of time around that at home. And I, enjoy- I imbibed uh, quite a bit. I enjoyed myself. Uh, in fact, actually, uh, the one thing that I did that was semi-productive uh, was I read um, A Memory of Grief. Uh, by Dale Phillips, who is uh, an author and also a co-worker of mine. He does a, a, a bunch of, That's right. I, I believe, self-published stuff. Uh, and it is um, sort of a, a hard-boiled uh, detective story, I guess I would say. It's more almost like he's not actually a detective. I think he becomes a, t- a detective in later books. Uh, it's sort of a vengeance tale. Um, ah, which I always is, like a good vengeance tale. Yeah, which is kind of neat. So it's like, um, you know, in the, the very beginning of the book, his best friend dies so he treks across the country uh it's based in maine uh which i thought was kind of interesting um and works to solve the murder and i started to think a little bit of how uh that hard-boiled detective story has a few parallels uh with sword and sorcery it's uh, it's a very very mm-hmm. broad brush stroke here I, i'll admit but it, it, they're, they're generally that very uh personal storyline um, yeah, and I, I think they both have sort of a pulp. Uh, yeah, yeah, very, that's where very they came pulpy. from. Yeah, yeah, and I think that his his it's a it is a novel, um, but it is very very pulpy in the way that he did it, and I really enjoyed it actually. Um, so cool. Dale Phillips, check him out if you guys like it. Cool, cool. Uh, I guess that means it's my turn, does it? Yeah. Yes, it does. Okay, well, it's been a long time, and I kept uh, thinking of different things I would bring up. Um, one thing I, I started flipping through in preparation to uh, for this episode is while I was on the uh, being a teacher and helping chaperone the grade nine trip to Quebec City, 
um, I picked up a copy of Elric's, um, Moorcock's Elric, Volume 1, the Ruby Throne graphic novel. And this is a fairly new release uh, in this form. And it is a massive, and by that I mean dimensionally, uh, beautiful book, the uh, uh, colored, etc. Um, but I only really cracked into the first little bit. I will just say that um, when I first saw the book, I was like, this is actually too big for a bookshelf. Not thick, but like yeah, it's tall. tall. It's very, very tall. Yeah, I, I hate that sometimes. I, I do. I hate it when I think about it, putting it on a shelf. But when you open it up and look at the pages, it's beautiful. Oh, yeah. And it really lends itself uh, to some nice spreads. Um, but I won't really talk too much about that. I'll kind of pepper that in as we uh, talk about the show. Is and it, I didn't finish it. My only overarching question with that is, and I haven't, yeah. I don't have it. I, I did, I like have kind of browsed it in uh, the comic book store. How accurate mm. is it to the, um, we'll say the first story. I don't know how much it covers. Well, um, being that I didn't finish it, I can't say. Fair enough. Um, I can say that it starts up, like I had read the novel in which it's based um, a couple of years ago and it was all sounding very familiar to me. Um, but so I, I can't, the, jur the jury's out on that. Yeah, right. But what I've been actually really uh, into that I, I wanted to mention was, well, two things, and I'll be rather quick about them. Um, the, what is this series called? Uh, God of Nothing? Anyways, it's R. Scott Baker. He's a Canadian author, and he does this series. Um, books are The Darkness That Comes Before the warrior prophet and i'm finally on um the thousandfold thought these are deep uh uh dense you'd probably categorize it as grimdark it is bleak um somewhat based on like uh, actual holy wars um mm. historically rad book series um it's called the prince of nothing series yeah is that what, what did I said? Uh, you say uh, gods God of nothing? nothing? Yeah. Yeah, I'm confusing that because there's a, there's like, in the book, there's something called the no god. Um, it's just all part of the the lore, but it's it's super dark, super grim. Uh, not not a not a humorous book in any way. Um, and I usually like a little humor in my fantasy, a little bit of a spice, but this is just kind of, uh, I don't know how better to describe it than just. Grim and almost, dark. Yeah, grim and dark, and you can almost just smell the, <laughs> the, the vile nature of it. Darkness. Um, yeah, a lot of darkness. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's as though a, a genre should be born from the grim and the dark. Yes, yes, yes. You should rape <laughs> it somehow and determine how grim and dark it truly is. Uh, but mainly you have, you have, um, you have this guy named Kanar. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. He's sort of like a sort of like a, a Mongol approximation, but he's this barbarian character. And uh, you know, any time I get a barbarian in my fantasy fiction, obviously it comes back to there has to be some comparison to Conan because he's OG barbarian, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, but he is far more brutal um, and immoral, and not a not a hero, um, but a very interesting interesting character because you get right into his mind 
and like his his fear of being a a wimp or a weeper. Hmm. Um, and there's also drinker. some sub- yeah, but there's some subtext too where like he may or may not be gay, which is like a huge oh, sin. Yeah, a huge sin amongst yeah. his people, and it's not really. The book doesn't paint it overtly, um, but there's some serious suggestions in there about things that he's done or things that he would like to do, but he's even hates himself for it. And so, I don't know. I, I like that sort of, that's an interesting take on a barbarian character, right? You think of like the ultimate rage machine uh, to put that angle is kind of interesting. And you've yeah. got these sort of Jedi-like character who's like your warrior prophet. And when I say Jedi, I mean, like more of a sociopath. Right. Uh, anywho, I, I, I will say not much more. It's just that I'm coming to the third book and I'm getting close to the end and I'm finding it satisfying but quite heavy. I like it. Yeah. I won't get into my third. I will just say that I'm listening to Gardens of the Moon by Steve Erickson on audiobook, uh, which I am finding quite mind-blowing, actually. Wait, are uh, you, are you yeah. venturing into uh, the world of no. Audible at this point? Uh, sure. (laughs) Yes. Why not? Yes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I'm listening to Gardens of the Moon by Steve Erickson. Uh, and it's the first book of Malazan. I have the hard copy. I have the first three books in hard copy as well. And I've just heard too many times that it's like somewhat ultimate as far as massive, uh, fantasy goes that isn't like, oh yeah. Happy go lucky, right? On and on and on and on. Yeah, but I uh, I'm really digging the world building. I've heard a lot of people claim that it's really kind of confusing or jarring. Um, I'm not really getting that impression, even just from listening. It seems more. um, I I don't know. I I I find like you have to sort of read read into what these terms mean. But I'm not confused about who's the character, who the characters are, and what's going on. So. Yeah, my physical copy has like an encyclopedia in the back of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got that as well, and I'm gonna start leafing through. You read it, didn't you, Logan? Didn't you I did. I liked it. It's really good. I just, I have a really hard time committing to series that yeah, have yeah. 16 books. Yeah, it's, just, a, it's um, a big one. Yeah, like a, I, I did really enjoy it. The characters were good. There is some humor in it. Um, yeah, there. Yeah, it's not like standard elves and stuff. Like he's pretty creative, um, while still staying familiar. I think. Mm. And I. Uh, I find so. his, he's just really, uh, I really enjoy his, his verbiage, uh, like the actual prose itself, I find really quite good. Um, I think the and, magic system is interesting yeah, and unique. The, the descriptions of the magical violence is yeah. uh, probably the best I've ever yeah. read or listened to in that case. So anyways, I took a while, but I think those are all interesting points for a, a podcast such as this. Oh, totally. Yeah. All right. So, well, with all that behind us. Why don't we jump into the whole Elric scene? Uh, The first thing that we have here is a question. It says, who is Michael Moorcock? Oh, yeah. Who is Michael Moorcock? Um, Michael Moorcock is a man of many talents. Uh, He is a writer, obviously, most famous for sci-fi and fantasy. Um, He's also a musician. Yep. He collaborated with Blue Oyster Cult. I mm. do, I think. Um, I have that written down somewhere. Um, but uh, he created 
the Eternal Champion, which isn't really a series, more as like um, I don't know, like connected characters, which we'll get into. Um, mm. You can't separate Elric from the Eternal Champion, no. um, but he was mostly prolific in the 1960s and 1970s. So these are British fantasy author. Yeah, he's British. Um, the, but this is like what maybe. If Conan is Golden Age Sword and Sorcery, would he be like Silver Age? Ooh, I like that. Yeah, I don't sure. know that that's ever been kind of compared. That's kind of cool. And Rad. interestingly, uh, at the back of this uh, graphic novel I purchased, um, I kind of paused reading it and then read the interview at the back with Michael Moorcock because I figured, well, that would be uh, interesting for the show. And he actually said he, he wasn't a huge fan of British fantasy. Yeah. Uh, um, and he was more enamored with the American uh, writers, like Edgar Rice Burroughs and uh, those guys. I could I see that. Like, I, I totally think you can totally that. tell too. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, there's a lot of weird. There's a lot of violence. Um, just it in does the verbiage have... too. Yeah, and, and the yeah. way the the style. It's it's a it's a more. I don't pulpy. think you would say. I think it's yeah, it's a very pulpy style. Yes, it's exactly. Yeah. It's that's not exactly like it. the Silmarillion, for example. Yes, well, that, yeah. that's it. And he said he he didn't. Uh, he actually he interviewed Tolkien once, and had never read Lord of the Rings, and told him as much. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah, he, uh, he didn't seem to care much for uh, for you know Tolkien or C.S. Lewis, right? Like Jesus, I get why they're Jesus important. The they do, just not my jam. Yeah, you're not. No, I like, you're I not like, my jam. I have more <laughs> respect for Tolkien than I do love, but I really like The Hobbit. The Hobbit is good. And, yeah, I read Lord of the Rings. I don't dislike it. It's just I, I'm looking for something else in my, in my reading yeah. stack these days. Word. Mm. Any other talents? Anything else hidden on Michael Moorcock that we haven't? Didn't uncovered? did he write the lyrics to veteran? of the psychic war by blue oyster cult i feel like he did and i don't know um uh, i think he wrote a number of songs for blue oyster cult yeah actually do um, um this was this, i don't the have the exact of. ones written down though now the one i'm thinking of was a song for uh remember heavy metal 1981 or 1982 film uh the animated film mm-hmm. it was on that soundtrack and i remember listening to those lyrics as a kid being like well not really a kid but in high school thinking what the heck is this all about um and then later i i read on the on social media that he had written the yes, lyrics yes you are correct okay, veteran perfect. of the yeah the veteran of the psychic wrote war. the lyrics yeah. to three album tracks um yeah. and they all refer to stormbringer they are veteran of the psychic wars um the great sun Jest- jester Mm-hmm. And then another one is not mentioned here. Oh, Warriors at the Edge of Time, I think. <laughs> that um, sounds so Michael Moorcock. Yeah. He also has his own music project called Michael Moorcock and the Deep Fix. Oh, yeah. Um, he collaborated with British rock band Hawkwind, yes. which yes. is clearly a Michael Moorcock reference, yeah. um, if you know and anything about his other characters. That's probably like the only one that I knew of that list that, that I could yeah. have called out myself. Um, and Lemmy, Lemmy from yeah. Motorhead and Hawkwind at one point. It's possible. I feel like that's true as well. That's more your um, uh, speed. He actually came up in the interviews uh, that because he was friends with Lemmy, and uh, Moorcock's wife ha- had a bit of reservation 
in terms of Lemmy coming over because she felt like he's sort of a misogynist. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, think, I don't think misogyny in the sense of you hate women. I think misogyny in the sense that maybe you have a particular view of or... Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. But she's, you know, she apparently found it to be a lovely, a lovely individual, which if you've ever watched Lemmy in interviews or uh, whatever, he does seem like he'd be a very chill and enjoyable guy or would have been. It's amazing the, the the circles that some of these people run and just how they overlap. It's kind of weird. Well, and, it, and it makes, but it makes so much sense when you reflect on yourself as a fan, right? Yep. Like I, I love Motorhead. Oh yeah, yeah. Course, I love I love fantasy. So yeah. mm-hmm. those two things. It, yeah. It, it's almost validating when the creators come together and they're not even in the same medium. Right. I think this is a super interesting quote from him. Um, that it really reflects in his writing. Um, he says, I am an anarchist and a pragmatist. My moral philosophical, philosophical position is that of an anarchist. Uh, my books frequently deal with aristocratic heroes, gods, and so forth. All of them end on a note which often states quite directly that one should serve neither gods nor masters, but become one's own master. Uh, Damn. That is very apropos uh, for the whole Elric conversation yeah yeah oh, it almost sounds like something howard would say too mm-hmm. that I... sense of putting the uh putting the onus or the the faith in yourself rather than a god very interesting so i yeah. think i think a lot of that too we can uh we'll have to uh revisit when we do a music episode yeah i think so i think we can we can dig a little bit deeper on that so uh before we go any further i mean we kind of talked a little bit about it um, but in terms of the mediums that we digested, uh, what we did digest, um, I think Logan, you read, right? I did. Good for you. <laughs> I read, very, uh, an- very analog of, Mil- of you. Yes. Very analog. Uh, I read Elric of Melnibone and Sailor on the Seas of Fate. Um, I, I own copies of both that I got off the internet, um, off the Amazon used, so yeah, that's what I that's what I read. Nice. I like having a physical book in my hand. I have a hard time listening to audiobooks. You yeah, should try I listening can. to the Cimmerillion because uh, it's it's long. I'm just living vicariously through you on that yeah, one. I will I will provide you with a full detailed report. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I I audiobooked. Um, that was the easiest method for me. Uh, being trapped in a uh, metal coffin for about two hours a day uh, makes it easy for me to uh, pop things in and listen. So yeah. that was the way I did it. Uh, and what about you, Matt? Uh, I read this novel, uh, classic analog in an old paperback. It's one of the Elric novels or El- Elric books that I read that is not part or, or, or that I didn't read in the form of the Del Rey collection. Uh, a few years back, they put out um, like a several volume set, and I have the first two of those. And I read all of the first one, which has like I, I don't know if these were the original titles, but it's a collection of the short the short stories: Stealer of Souls, Stormbringer, which was a novel oh, in yeah, yeah, four yeah. parts, I think. Um, so I, I read a lot of it uh, a couple of years back, and then I just sort of refamiliarized myself mm-hmm. for the purpose of the show. So this comes courtesy of one of our friends. Um, I'm probably going to say his last name right, but he also has a podcast. His name is Dean. I, I'm going to say Dean Geiken. 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 Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Geiken uh, with Geiken. 
yeah, there you go. He his podcast is Geekin with Geikin. And he's uh often in contact with us. We talk about nerd stuff a lot. Um he sent us an order to read in if we were to read the entire series. Um the series does come in published order and chronological order. The mm. chronological order does not match the published order because he wrote short stories, as you had mentioned before, um, going back and creating what we read as Elric of Melnibene. So it goes right. Elric of Melnibene, Fortress of the Pearl, Sailor on the Seas of Fate, The Weird of the White Wolf, The Sleeping Sorceress, The Revenge of the Rose, The Bane of the Black Sword, and Stormbringer. Right, and the um, the Delrays I just mentioned... I believe are in chronological order because it starts with the whole, uh, you know, tragic story uh, in the dreaming city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Then that yeah. is chronological order. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that Stormbringer you mentioned was actually written in 1963. Mm-hmm. The book we read um, for this was in 1972 and is chronologically the first. Right. So it was like almost a decade. Yeah. So my first, my first experience with these stories was reading the the chronological story order uh, rather than published. Right. I think that's what's most accessible at this point, too. Yes. Yeah. It does well, seem that way. Publishers, publishers just want to do that, you know? Yeah. And and none of this stuff is super accessible, I've, I've noticed. No, it's kind of hard to find. And yeah. I think it's kind of expensive for what it is, too. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. That's weird, isn't it? Like, yeah, you think that this would be readily available or Kindleable or anything? Even I mean, the Del Rey editions, like Del Rey did the Conan books that we all cherish, yeah. um, and they're yeah. pretty easy to find and relatively cheap. But the the Elric ones they put out seem to be even like cost even more than they initially did in on the shelf. At least yeah. some of them, not all of them. Well, I mean, it just comes down to. Um... Availability, demand, um, obviously availability, but I feel like, again, we need to just remind ourselves that this is a, a niche genre. It's not yeah. It's not top of the stack in terms of popularity. It's not epic fantasy. It's not about the trilogy. It's, you know, they're more scattered stories, and they're from a while ago, the, the, the popular ones, right? Like, who's yeah. your most popular current, you know, in the last 10, even 20? 20 years, sword and sorcery character. Who is it? Kane is probably the most recent, right? Not counting <laughs> Conan? Or... Yeah, well, well I we mean. never like, count Conan because that's someone, like the top. But... That's, I mean, I mean a, new, a new piece of fiction. A new oh, fiction I suppose there. mine would be Howard Andrew Jones, the beer and awesome. That's, yeah. That would be mine. Yeah. And I mean, but, but, but yes, that's, that's still sort of playing... Yeah, that's still playing to this the sword and sorcery crowd in in many ways. Yeah. I guess I would think of like something like Geralt from uh, The Witcher. Yep. Yeah, if, I was going to go with the Hound. That, the, gonna, hound? Yeah. the Hound. I, I mean, really, I think that he's probably one of the closer. Yeah. For me, anyway. So I, I guess all I'm all I'm saying is that I think sword and sorcery still remains niche, and though we see aspects of it in all kinds of other. Um, uh, different fantasy series um, that it's it's not it's not our most popular piece. So the yeah, fact that these yeah. stories are more difficult to access does not surprise me if it doesn't have the word Conan before it. Yeah, I, I, it does surprise me just in the sense that it feels like everything's at your fingertips these days, but I guess not. Mm. 
I, I hear a lot of people like a classic uh, issue is the Wagner Kane stories is trying to access those. And the only ones that you can get are like the centipede press, which were, were, were expensive even when they were published. They're beautiful books, by the way. But now I think they're out of print. Um, but Kindle has every Kane story for $5. If you can read it on the phone, like or on your Kindle. Uh, a lot of fans and people in that sort of uh, fan circle take issue with that. And they think it was like the worst decision ever was to release them in um, PDF or electronic format because it then just sort of made no no appetite to put them back in physical print. Um, and that they oh. Bootleg to high hell, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can so, see that, but yeah. they exist somewhere, and since it's on the internet now, they will exist that somewhere forever. Yeah, and that's worth its value too. Right. I do have a couple copies of old Kane books, but I've got everything in one form or another. All the Kane. Yeah. Well, we will talk about it at a later date. We will. But we're yeah. talking about Elric right now. Right. So, which, but hey, there's an interesting connection there, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have this list of fun facts in here because um, Elric appears in a lot of pop culture, um, whether you know it or not. Um, Elric was in a crossover comic or no a crossover story with Kane written by Carl Edward Wagner called a Gothic touch um, where Kane and Elric, um, their dimensions intersect and they fight side by side. Um, there's also a crossover with Conan in Marvel Comics, Conan the Barbarian number 14 from 1972, where Eric Elric appears wearing a goofy, stupid hat. Yeah, what is with that hat, man? That was Barry Windsor Smith drawing it, wasn't it, still? I think. Yeah, and I read that um, he didn't actually have, like, a description to go on, and he knew that Elric was, like, a sorceress or magical in some way, and so he drew him kind of like a wizard. Yeah. Which makes sense. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, someone did tell me that. So the hat Could is be. the hat is impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I've, yeah. I've been meaning to uh, buy that comic though, because you can get it at a pretty good price, and that's like your first your first form of Elric and comic and Conan and comic. Well, no, sorry. Uh, of a, of that crossover, obviously. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> so yeah, um, who is Elric? What is Elric? Is that all your fun facts? I know you have more. I do, but I want to sprinkle them out throughout. Oh, you like, want to I don't want to. Okay. I don't want yeah, to ruin you it. Can't, you can't just like unload them, right? You gotta, yeah, right. that's fair. Season, yeah. season throughout. Okay. So El- Elric as a character. Yes. Uh, I think you know one of the main things that we talked about is uh, he is not Conan, right? He is no. more or less an anti. Yeah, he seems to be intentionally designed not to be Conan. That's right. And actually, uh, in the interview I read today, um, that is covered. Shall I read what Michael Moorcock had to say? Yes, you shall, good sir. Okay, so the uh, the interviewer asked, Elric is the epitome of the anti-Conan, almost as if you had wanted to create the exact opposite of the character created by Robert E. Howard. Conan is a typical American hero and a self-made man who becomes king by his own hand, whereas Elric is already a monarch with absolute power. The Sumerian does not believe in magic, while the Melnibonian is a great sorcerer. The former is a pillar of physical strength, while the latter must use Stormbringer to substitute his weakness. And Michael Moorcock says, Yes, I wanted to break down 
the cliches of heroic fantasy that is often fascist by nature, prizing reactionary and warmongering values. Nonetheless, I have a great deal of admiration for Howard. He was a remarkable writer. In England, he was a virtual unknown and even scorned for a long time. He was part of this group of American authors who influenced me much more than their English counterparts. I even wrote a novel about Conan a few years back. I really must try and find it sometime. That's right. I remember. How about, I, how about I, that? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Perilous Worlds. Yeah, find that. <laughs> Talk to Michael Moorcock. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Elric is in every way the opposite of Conan. He's physically frail. Um, he is a sorcerer, first and foremost, I believe. Mm. Um, he's albino. He's an elf. <laughs> like, they don't call him elves, but he's an elf. Yeah. I like, mean... in every artistic depiction of him, he's an elf. But interestingly, even if you think of the Melnibonian. God damn it. Melnibonians, if we think of them as elves, or even an answer to elves, right? Like, they're not Tolkien's elves. No, 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 not at all. Right. They are. Uh, they are from a a. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, not debauchery, but um, decadent. Decadent. Which if I don't is, know how you got that from where he was, but good <laughs> job. You know, he just. He was looking for the adjective to describe the, Mel Nibonaeans. Decadent is a lot. It's is a very a lot, yes. sword and sorcery word. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that that's where I see the uh, the parallel to what Howard was doing in showing the decadence of civilizations and what you know how they can sort of lead to things crumbling. Yeah. Um, fun fact: Sasquatch Games, who did Primeval Thule, um, since it is a D and D centric game there are elves and the elves are explicitly designed to be like Melnibonaeans. yeah they are in, in their decadence point. yeah mm -hmm. i never really associated that but that is a that's a good point yeah and i mean i guess the idea of the uh it's interesting he brings up the the idea of fascists and fascism and it being an answer to uh warmongering etc where you have elric there and you know his cousin in this story your coon like yeah you're not doing it the right way, Elric. Yeah, I think that's one of <laughs> the, the more time. interesting uh, parts because he's very much uh, his equal mm. in a lot of ways, uh, and it really takes him making like a pact with you know a demon essentially okay. to uh, to be able to surpass him uh, and defeat him, uh, which is again a very anti-Conan thing. Like like you're not going to see him make a pact with anything. Uh, to to achieve what he needs to achieve. Uh, is that true? Well, again, I think it has. It, you know, may, maybe somewhere deep in there, there, there's something. But he feel like it. it Conan is a is self reliant. Yeah, mostly he is. But mostly he also to get the job done, he will do some dirty work. Um, I mean, he's he's used magic. That's that that has happened. That's a common misconception in people. The black circle. He wears the belt. 
Oh yeah, and then yeah. the phoenix on the sword. The sword is magical. Yeah, but th- but yeah. but that's none of that. That all pale, pales into comparison of, of almost oh, yeah, quite yeah, yeah. literally of signing I mean, a contract with a demon. Yeah, yeah El- Elric talks to gods and takes drugs to see the future and all kinds of ridiculous mm-hmm. magical mm-hmm. things. Which was another thing that came up in this interview with Moorcock. Uh, the guy, it was one of the first things the interviewer asks him is like, so, dude, did you do a bunch of drugs and then, like, write Elric? Um, <laughs> and he's like, no, man, I just had a lot of coffee, uh, you know, to get my writing done, essentially. But Yeah, that's how like, I do it. You know, I, was, I was around a bunch of people who who did. Um, but, I mean, fair question, right? Because if, if the author is using that piece, it does – if you heard that in a rock and roll song, you're going to be like, oh, well, he's a rock and roller, so he probably does drugs. Right. You know. There are a lot of trippy scenes. Yes. Um, plus, plus, he comes totally. off as very countercultural, anyways. Uh, yeah. More countercultural. Yeah. That is. So, yeah. You know. And I mean, Jesus, it was like uh, the '60s and '70s, and and, and that, man, that. I don't want to. Yeah, and know, I think stereotype, but uh, drugs were happening then. <laughs> drugs were happening then. <laughs> um, I will say <laughs> that I think the magic that we see in Elric still fits sword and sorcery because um, it has a price. And it's often terrifying. Yep. Um, to the yeah. point where even Elric is terrified about what he can do with his magical powers. Yeah. Right. Well, well I, yeah, I mean, even the sword itself is like... It's a vampire. It, yeah, it is. And it's it's sort of he's one with it at, at, at a certain point. It needs to feed or he's weak. Fun it fact. In the Elder Scrolls, there's a two-handed Daedric katana you can get called Ebony Blade, and it is Stormbringer. Like the 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 people who made it made it because Stormbringer. So you know, all I can think of, as much as Stormbreaker or Stormbringer is a um, is an awesome name for a sword. It's just that quote that the Hound says about people who name their swords. Oh yeah. yeah. Calls it now yeah. we're not going to say that. But those who know, know, and it is funny. <laughs> uh, in the wedding episode in Game of Thrones TV series, Joffrey is presented a sword called Stormbringer at his wedding. Oh, and, that's another uh, good fun fact. I didn't know that. Or alert. <laughs> he died. I mean, I, mean <laughs> I didn't say any spoilers there. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I just did. If you have not watched Game of Thrones or read it at this point, figure it out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, figure it out. Also, I did say spoiler uh, alert. Oh, fun fact: band Hammerfall has a song called "Legacy of Kings," and they have the lyrics: "Stormbringer, lead us into the unknown." Nice, and Brad. <laughs> that's it's a actually good a pretty one. sweet song. If you didn't listen <laughs> to to that band, that's good power metal. And you, so you didn't want to sing "Final Countdown." You didn't want that us to play that after we did a, the three of us singing it. But you'll sing Be- what you just sang because the three of us did sing the final countdown. I, we're, I'm putting it on. You, know you are putting it on. Yes, I am. <laughs> awesome. So, so subversive, Alex. Here, so subversive with your editing techniques. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Elric in Sword and Sorcery. You guys are very, very much like he. This is sword and sorcery, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I tend to fall in the category of this broadens 
sword and sorcery. I think sure. it does that too. Yeah, I think it does right. that it, too. Like you, you know, I would even accept someone arguing that it isn't. Yeah, and, well, I originally had said that too, uh, but I think I've backed off that a little bit because I feel like it has enough in there. It's just, it's like it. it I mean, quite literally, it's sword and sorcery on its head. Right. I mean, you're yeah. talking about a sorcerer rather than yeah. a sword a lot of the time, uh, despite the fact that he does get a sword and is a sword wielding guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just interesting. It really, he, Morcock really does work to flip it entirely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know us three have had this argument a lot of whether or not Conan is chosen in a couple of his stories, but Elric is explicitly chosen. Um, he is the eternal champion. Mm-hmm. Job in the universe is to keep balance between law and and chaos. He is the only incarnation of the eternal champion that I know of that is actually fighting for the side of chaos, not law. Which is rad. Which is yeah. Rad. It's super metal. <laughs> yeah, that's coming from our least metal. Uh, the least metal member of this trio. <laughs> yeah. Even I, right. I am the least. Me- yeah. I just listened to country music on my way to the grocery store to get this beer earlier. <laughs> fine. Country is fine, but it is not metal. <laughs> no, it is not. Not yet, anyway. They're crossing over with everything, so you'll have, That's true. You'll have country uh, metal soon enough. If it doesn't well, already get... exist. Yeah, I'm sure there's. I'm telling you. If there was a bluegrass band that had lyrics like you just spouted off from what Hammerfall, mm-hmm. I would be all about that. And you know what? If it was, if the music was at all heavy in any way, and you had metal lyrics, classify it as metal. Because I'm not, not one of the people who's like, oh, it has to have blast beats and growling. Now, what makes metal metal is the spirit, and the lyrics, and the attitude. And the little sprinkling of evil, much like yeah, sword and sorcery, there. right? Exactly. Yeah. There we go. Exactly. It's like it, very, very parallel here. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Broad brush strokes, my friends. Yeah, yes. broad brush. So we did touch upon it too, but uh, one of the other ways that sword and sorcery is flipped on its head here is we we've I know for a fact in episode one and probably beyond we emphasized heavily that it is generally human driven, and then we then. Uh, counteracted ourselves by obviously then pointing out that, well, El- Elric is not human. Yeah. Um, as yeah. a character, he's not human, but I think the world, I could, I mean, I read two books. Um, so I had, I had a lot of time to think about this cause I, I read them on my flight back from Machu Picchu or, or Peru. Um, I think Elric's world is human driven because his empire is falling. Mm -hmm. It's almost gone. And when it's not human driven, it's very much about like the cosmic scale of things. And I also think he is the human anchor as much as he's still Melnibanean. He is, he has all human qualities. Whereas the society, he's more human than his other people. Exactly. Which, and I mean, for intents and purposes, they're not, um, you know, these aren't these aren't Tolkien's elves. They're not Tolkien's dwarves. They don't have a such a defined attribute that makes them I agree. unhuman. I yeah. agree. Humans humans act in 
in ways in the same ways as Mel Nibane. Yeah, absolutely. So it's almost as if they're just a different country. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and that and I so I, I only brought that up to knock it down, really. Sure. <laughs> Which, yeah. Well, yeah. But really his non humanness is just as human as that. You could have called him human. You could have called Meldemidaeans just a country rather than a different race. Uh, yeah, and, totally. and I would have bought it. So And I, it's interesting too that they're like literally an island, right? Yeah. It's like the yeah. idea that they're the last it's like they, they are sort of keeping the they they are sort of an empire, uh, maybe empire. They're Atlantis. Not the yeah, but they're they're sort of like top dogs, but but they are just an island, that's that's sort of left. So I mean, I I guess that's where a lot of the tension would come from. Elric, you must do yeah. it the old ways, man. We've got things to maintain here. <laughs> Interestingly, <laughs> and <laughs> the uh, last part of Sailor on the Seas of Fate. Um, deals with the origins of the Melnibonaeans. Um And they, from how I understood it, and I will say the Sailor on the Seas of Fate lost me about halfway through. Um, there's a lot of philosophy, mm. um, a lot of uh, this uh, metaphysical stuff, and I'm not actually sure if the events that happened actually happened, but... They like come from a jungle. Essentially, it seemed as though they were barbarians at one point. Um, they made a deal with what is it, Arioch, mm-hmm. and yeah. and that's what brought them out or drove them out of their their homeland. Um, but there there's a lot going on in Elric's backstory, or like his people's origins. So uh, yeah, what did you think of the what did you think of the book? Uh, it was uh, admittedly actually a couple of years ago that I read that. Um, I do remember I, 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 I liked that it, let me just say, I kind of miss novels that aren't novellas, that are actual novels that we would consider novels that are kind of done in 300 pages and have a complete arc. Preach. I, I love that. I love it. Preach. Right? Yep. I kind of, I don't, I really don't know what's happening uh that, that's insisting that all books be under pages long um which fine i'm not against it it's just it would be kind of nice to be able to rip through a few rousing tales uh, in a shorter period of time but Agreed. I, I digress um i i i really the thing that stands out most in my memory is the the uh the maze to get into Mel Nibane. The, the coral or, or, labyrinth. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that they couldn't they can't figure out at first like how these barbarians are, are getting in and like how they're able to navigate it. And I was like, that's a very cool um like I'd never really seen that before in fantasy. Like often you just have a wall. How does the enemy get past the wall? Yeah. But that 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 makes it um it gives it that sense of a mystical place or an other yeah. place or sure. I also, in that same area of the book, I really thought it was interesting, their boats, their big Mm. golden battle barges, like, they're not, they're not ships like we would imagine them, they're not ships like Conan would ride in, they're like these gigantic hulking platforms that have, like, a ziggurat on top of them, and they have catapults, it's like a little floating fortress, which I think physically in the real world probably isn't 
a, like it's not not possible. No, but it drives but, home the imperious uh, exactly. feel yeah. of, of their yeah. of their civilization, which I think is really cool. That's right, and and I mean, sometimes with these sorts of stories, I want like theme and symbolism. It, that that's sort of more important to me than practicality. I don't need yeah, to know exactly. how everything works. It, that where that would become complicated is if you adapted it uh, for the screen or something where then things need to read, uh, make a little more sense. I, just, I, I also think it hammers home that they're not they're the, uh, the kind of civilization they are. They're mm-hmm. not humans. They're beyond what right. humans are capable of. Right. right. Worth mentioning right. a few things here, supporting characters in the, in the story. Um, Simaril, right? Hercoon's yep. uh, sister. Hercoon is the cousin. Yep. So she also Ooh. is a cousin. So we have a nice little yeah, incestuous, uh, imperious uh, relationship there as well, which is kind of interesting. Uh, yep. Again, royalty. We, we mentioned that before. So I think that, that that's not uh, abnormal for uh, royalty. Yeah, inbreeding is pretty common in yeah. their royal, royal line, which Might is also... why Elric is albino and anemic. Yep. Which may kind of factor into the commentary Morcock is sort of putting into this. Oh, you totally yeah. stole what I was going to say. I was just going to say that. Good job, though. Sorry bro. Sorry, bro. No, it was really smart. It was a really, really smart thing. Um, I'm glad you said it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, Hercoon is sort of on his tail uh, the whole time. Has an eye on the throne, really, was what it comes yeah. down to. He thinks that he can do it better. Uh, and Elric is very passive towards him. Until, essentially, uh, he kidnaps uh, Simero. Yeah, like, literally all his friends are like, you just need to kill him. Like, right. I'm pretty sure Simero even is like, you just need to kill him. Yes. Kill him. Right. Yeah. Um, so she gets put into a trance and is essentially kidnapped. So before all this, of course, we're not going to... We're not going to give this the Conan 82 treatment right here and have two episodes dedicated to the story. <laughs> no. uh, but there is uh, a lot of uh, setup about that tension between Her- yeah. Harkoon and, and Elric, uh, culminating in essentially uh, a vict- uh, really a victory by Elric. And then at that point, uh, Harkoon plays the treachery card uh, and kidnaps Cimmeril. And then you sort of have like your classic go save literal literally go save the princess uh quest um that that um elric undertakes which he can't yeah. do on his own this is mm. what we were alluding right. to and he uh creates a a pact um with area yes as well as what sotha the water elemental St- strasha strasha that's yeah. it yeah to you were use the so he gets the Ship that travels over land and sea. But it is not an airship. Which is also uh, commonly known as T-S-T-T-O-L-A-S. That's the oh. abbreviation of it. Everyone uses it. so I'm sure they do. <laughs> um, so this yeah. ship is like the ships in the Conan the Barbarian remake where they carry, they're carried over land by elephants, right? I imagine it more like... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh. I'm kidding. Fair enough. I actually like that part of the movie. I don't know why everyone gives that part a hard time. That uh, sounds that sounds very Hyborian age to me, but whatever. But that <laughs> was another story. Yeah, um, I guess I kind of imagine them as like, um, like the ships from John Carter. Yeah. Like yeah, 
So not like yeah, and like, not yeah. like Jabba the Hutt's skiff. Yeah, something like that, yeah. kind of. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and I mean the the Thongor stories have one of those too. There there was definitely a, an airship. Sorry, not an airship, but a fascination in in these sword and sorcery tales, or to have that kind of the ship that doesn't only go on water. Yeah. Right. Ooh. Special ships. They're in like you know Wagner's cane as well. Oh yeah, yeah. You get like some badass speed boats in there for sure. Yeah. So, shooting lasers and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, so and then from so from there we get we get our boat. So th- this part of the the story kind of had me. It has me chuckling, not in a nostalgic way, right? Because this is written um, very much like a Legend of Zelda quest. Oh, yeah. Sort of thing. Like, I mean, he's literally going collecting the items. Yep. And then has to go fight the boss at the end. And that's kind of like, you know, the game reminded me is like, okay, we're getting the boat, which is now going to unlock the the next thing. And then we have to get the sword. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So... So he kind of goes through this, uh, and then eventually he goes into um, the uh, the the dimension. Is it the dimension of chaos at that point? Is that he is he go into that? Is that what they call Wait, it? Wait, did you skip the part with the mirror? Or are we getting to the part? Oh, I did skip it. I did. Yeah. Because they go to a port, and it's got this giant mirror on top of a tower, and if you look at the mirror, you like lose your memory. Yes. And I think that's my favorite scene. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's like a siege, and like the guys are blindfolded, um, and they're like storming this castle, um, and this the imagery of the mirror on top, right? Um, like scanning the battlefield, wiping these dudes' memories. That's a pretty badass scene. Mm-hmm. It, and it bears mentioning that uh, you know Elric is commented as being sickly and weak, but in all in all occasions. He bests Hercoon. Yeah. Who is like yeah. supposed to be his superior. Like he bests him in smarts, in uh in leadership. Uh the only time he doesn't is when he gets his butt kicked on the boat, right? Which was right. sort of and like, he's like running out of, of his anyway. drugs, yeah, right? Right, right. Right. Yes. This story really hammers home. You know, I feel like other stories mention it, but this one kind of shows uh you know, that reliance on the drugs yeah he really needs to sleep and take his medicine or he's not effective right. until he gets to stormbringer and stormbringer does the work for him right and so so we we covered the uh the uh the mirror that you mentioned which i thought was cool yeah. i also thought it was interesting how like as a leader and a general he kind of collects the uh the weak um and the uh the crippled to, to sort of do a lot of that the, that work, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, then eventually, then he does go into uh, this other dimension. Some kind of dimension. Right. Yeah. Where he meets, of course, the character that I would like the most, who is the archer, so the red archer. That stupid monk. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> and he, technically he's a priest, but... Yeah, that's fair. It's uh, Rakir, the red archer. A, a warrior yeah. priest, which if I guess that's basically a monk. I think now that you mention him, um, I think it's interesting to note that I don't think this book is written in the way a novel is typically written. I think there are definite beginning and ends to like what three or four story arcs and characters move in and out without being mentioned again. Yes. Like 
this guy does not show up until the last third of the book. Right. And, and that's just clearly, how it goes. It, I mean, to me, it looks very much like short stories sewn together um, with some coherent plot, obviously. Right. Uh, but, but done in a way uh, that you would almost like, well, quite literally like GM a game. Yeah, Sailor on the mm-hmm. Seas of Fate is also like that, but I think it's less effective. Mm-hmm. Just a side note. So the the big culmination is they're in the this um, uh, this other dimension. They finally figure out where they need to go, and Elric then basically uh, has to go through um, what I can right. only describe yeah, yeah, as yeah. a puckering anus that he <laughs> has to climb through. Uh, that I found to be one of the stranger decisions of the book. Um, and once in, uh, of course the red archer couldn't quite poke his way through the bum, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. So then he, at that point he, uh, has the one-on-one combat with air Coon, uh, as well. It's a good duel. It's it, a well-described sword Well-described duel. Very well-described duel. Um, and of course, uh, mastering the sword itself, uh, and ultimately defeating him, but yeah. does not kill him. No. Which is also a very interesting, um, very interesting aspect of Elric in that he does show compassion and which I and mercy. Found, I found interesting from this book because it was lit, written later than other stories, but um, Stormbringer has its own mind and it is bloodthirsty and it mm-hmm. kills people that Elric loves. Yeah, but somehow it doesn't kill Irkun. In this scene, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what what's interesting too? So so to wrap this up, right? He defeats him. Erkun acknowledges him as the better, uh, and they they get back to uh, Melnibene, and <laughs> ultimately, you know, the spell's undone, and ultimately. Uh, Elric realizes that this is not the place for him. Yep. So, so who does he put in charge? Irkun. <laughs> there you the same go. guy that he just fought about it for. <laughs> yep. I can think of one sword and sorcery character who would not have done that. Yeah. yeah. So you're kind of just back where you started a little bit, um, which yep. is funny. Uh, in it's all about the journey. So ultimately, Elric is moves off to the human lands uh, with Irkun yep. sort of as his proxy. And from my recollection, the second book does not mention the events of the first hardly at all, if if any. Like, it's just another book. Um, you know that he's not in his homeland. Um, I don't think it mentions Cimarill or Irkun, at least in my, my, my memory. And it just goes on from there. Which is cool. I love yeah, episodic I like that. stuff. Yeah. Like, it's great. Because if, if, as an author, you want to go back and talk about that... Go ahead and talk about it. Like we don't need, yeah. you know, you don't need to transition mm-hmm. every single scene on the way there and kind of tie it back to what's been happening, you know, in the other in the other land. I, in some ways, I'm going to bring this to Game of Thrones for a second. Um, I wish that 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 was done a little bit more in Game of Thrones. I feel like very heavily it's scene transitions. Uh, in fact, yeah. there's a whole freaking book that's seen transitions the one that doesn't have Jon Snow in it I'm forgetting which one the one that they basically book go four. to Dorne they go to Dorne book four yeah Feast for Crows yeah I, I think it might be that one they go to like Dorne for like the whole story yeah and you're just like uh 
Okay. <laughs> I, like I did like that book. It, it, it was good, but I, I was plotting at a few points. I just but, feel uh, like we could have brought them to Westeros. Like you know, like did we, did, was it necessary? Makes you wonder what uh, Martin's ultimate plan is with all that, because I don't think we actually saw the anyways. Yeah, well, well either that or he's he's drastically rewriting it based on the fan out, outbursts. <laughs> yeah, I, I would hope so. Nah, but uh, anyways, if we're yeah, that's another that episode. Point, yeah, I don't think it's so much where things ended up; it's the execution of how we got there is the bigger that's problem. Fair. Yeah, and to tie that and to tie that in, that is uh, that's the tale as well of the Selric. It's really about how you get there. It's not the fact that Hercule winds up on the throne anyway. Yeah, uh, exactly. Do you guys want another fun fact? Yeah, go I, for it. Yeah, do you have this, one? Uh, this interviewer uh, asked Moorcock, have you liked any fantasy films of recent years? And he said, I really liked Solomon Kane, even though it did badly at the box office. I found the visual stunning. Michael J. Bassett and his producer, Samuel Hadida, wanted to adapt Elric, but they couldn't get together enough money to go into production. Uh, yeah. So. That's a bummer. I liked I like Solomon Kane for what it was. I did too. Yeah. I, um, I, I, my I, last I, fun fact. Um, so we talked about The Witcher earlier a couple times. Um, Geralt of Rivia has so many similarities to Elric, in addition to being called the White Wolf, which is also one of Elric's monikers. Yeah. Um, that Moorcock considers it plagiarism because Sapkowski refuses to acknowledge Moorcock's inspiration on his Ooh. character. Boom. Yeah. I, I, I can see two different things. I mean, the idea that your, your, your swordsman is pale and has white hair and, and is a sorcerer. Uh, yeah. Has the magic. Drugs. Yeah. He uses drugs as a sorcerer. But Geralt's actual personality is not like Elvis. No, not not at all. And the setting is not like it. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm of two minds. I mean, think about somebody like... Although, I guess, Lynn Carter isn't saying that, like, Thongor isn't a little bit like Conan, you know? Yeah. Or maybe... Right. They don't, I don't know. But, yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, sometimes, Logan, you write a story that you think is really original, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Like you write this, this story that features zombies, right? Where where the origin is that they're these extraterrestrial bees that invade your body and hollow you out, and you become this buzzing husk. And you think, man, that's a cool idea for zombies. And then your buddy tells you, oh yeah, like that video game where that exact thing happened. <laughs> and then you hang your head in shame and want to drive your head in a blender because. You've actually it's not never, the exact th same thing, but Dead Rising does you have the bees. Yeah. This may have been something that happened in real life for the, those of you listening yeah. at home. Yeah. I thought it was so awesome. And it turns no, out it's a it great idea. Turns yeah. it, it turned you into a buzzing husk. It just goes <laughs> to show that all the stories have already been told. It's, it's just true. your voice that makes it unique. Still burns I, me I up. I believe it. Yeah. Well, I believe it. Zombie, zombies. <laughs> Were you calling Anyways. them zombies? 
Zombies. That's a sci-fi original movie. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna Google it, and it's gonna be gonna be there. If you didn't come, you wrote that whole thing, and you didn't come up with zombies. Oh my what? god, it is! Oh my god, it is! It's a 2008 film. I, uh, I mean, it took me 30 seconds. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. I can't believe it. Well, I'm pretty the sure the world that, is plagued by colony collapse disorder, killing off our honeybee population. Man's tinkering with genetic engineering is to blame, and zombies are the result. Oh my God! That person watched a Cheerio <laughs> commercial and then decided to make a zombie movie about it. <laughs> bees are disappearing. Oh my God! Ah, well, you can read all about that in a upcoming issue, a weird book. Yeah, <laughs> featuring my story, not called Zombies. Missed opportunity there. <laughs> Definitely missed opportunity. <laughs> Affectionately known from here on out as zombies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, where are we here? Are we uh we're gonna move back into this, Elric? We got any we got we yeah. have final thoughts. Yeah, any, yeah, let's let's wrap it up with some final thoughts, uh non zombie related. Um <laughs> so I'll I'll go. I'll go. So overall, I mean Elric's pretty awesome. And, yeah, totally. And um, yeah. I think that, you know, as is he's he's often looked at as one of the cornerstones of the sword and sorcery genre, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the personal tale part of things sort of trumps all the other parts that you would say maybe are not sword and sorcery, sort of that personal battle that he has. Uh, certainly a very conflicted soul. Um but fun read. I'm sure mostly everyone who's listened to this has read at least a little bit of Elric at one time or another. I, um, I would, I would just ahead. add to uh, what Alex is saying there about, and going back to what we said about turning it on its head a bit, right? Being the anti-Conan. Because I think in some ways, when you have something like that, part of your brain wants to um, separate you from the genre and say, well, obviously this is anti that genre. It's not sword and sorcery. It's, it's, but I, I tend to disagree. I think that like those are the things that expand the genre is by yeah. turning it on its head a bit and adding new things to the pool. Um, so in, in many ways, I think it that almost makes it more sword and sorcery. In, in I mean, who wants who wants a genre that's so narrowly defined anyway? Uh, it would just be Conan clones. You right. would be surprised. Right. Otherwise known as clonans. Actually... <laughs> Actually, Logan, you know what? I would not. I, I, I would not be surprised. I frequent the yeah. The same there's, internet there's you enough. Do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I agree. Uh, I think, I think his Moorcock clearly had a passion, a love, and a respect for Howard and Conan and the genre, mm-hmm. or, or the style, however you may consider it. Um, and knowing that he took the things that we expected and subverted them. And I think that's part of what makes Elric so genius. Yeah. Um, it's, it's using the, the framework we, we know and love, but it's subverting all those expectations from previous reads. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find that the, the prose itself too is nice and clean. Oh yeah. Um, it's not well. verbose. Yeah. yeah. It, well. it does. It does read well. There's also uh, a lot of heady concepts in there, um, especially sure. if you like sci-fi or like talk of other dimensions and multiverses and reincarnation and all that stuff. It, there's a lot in there, and he likes to talk about it. Yeah, I'm going to try and find this uh, uh, quote here. 
because he actually touches on that in the interview, which might be something. Uh, so the interviewer asked, did you have a religious upbringing? And Moorcock says, not at all, but I take a lot of personal interest in many religions. Um, he talks a lot about his, his fascination with mythology um, and the idea that he, <laughs> his stories aren't necessarily as appetizing to adapt into a Hollywood situation, especially sort of when you consider fantasy from a few years ago, pre-Game of Thrones. Um, because a lot of it is like he created his own his own mythology, um, you know, taking the things that he liked about others. But his is more like Ragnarok in the sense that things are ending and mm-hmm. things yeah. are kind of dour. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's the end of the civilization. In in it, hindsight, exactly, which doesn't their... super cheery, uh, yeah. which, which with fantasy in a lot of ways used to have that hope bit. Right. You know? Well, I think a lot of fantasy is based on. Uh, you're either in the dark period, the dark period is coming, and the yep. culmination is the delivery from the dark period. You know, <clears> you're <throat> defeating the darkness. Oh, God, that reminds me of a, an Onion article I, I saw recently where it was like, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, it was like, mystic, pretty sure darkness is coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen that one. <laughs> um, you were going to say something, Logan. In, oh, you're fine. In hindsight, um, a lot of uh, Elric's interactions with uh, like the elementals and the chaos demon and everything, it is kind of similar to how gods interact with humanity in Greek mythology. I don't know yeah. exactly what yeah. mythology he's taken from, but no, I see did, it now yeah, that you mentioned it. Uh, holistically, right? The idea. Yeah. Um, and then he, he, he says something uh, around, he, he didn't want to just take the... Ex- because a lot of authors have just simply used existing mythology. Yeah. Right. Because I mean, that's very much public domain. You, you can do that. Um, but he, he wanted to, to make his own. And I think if nothing else, he absolutely succeeded uh, in doing that with, with the worlds he's created. If you don't like any other aspects, I think you have to hand it to him that he's accomplished that. Oh yeah. And yeah. I think my last thing I should mention is that the BBC did pick up, rights to one of his works to make a show um it's another character called hawk moon which is actually an incarnation of the eternal champion and there are two story three stories i believe where hawk moon and elric work side by side because he meets his other aspects a lot are you sure that's the one is that the one that they got picked up i'm pretty sure it's hawk was like the night or was it no i'm confusing yeah maybe you're right Oh, by the way, Lemmy was in Hawkmoon. Nice. Hawkwind. Hawkwind the band. Hawkwind. Hawkwind. Oh, you meant Hawkwind. I knew what you meant. Yes. Because um, you had referenced it earlier in the podcast. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with the fact that you said you were going to bring it back. <laughs> uh, one thing, uh, the other thing, I guess the final thing for me, is I wanted to to ape on what you were saying about the mythology uh, building out the world building and the way that he's doing it is in that short story um, format almost a short story format that we were talking about and not necessarily like he's really conveying this in very succinct um, passages rather than these elaborate um, yeah. Tolkien-ish yeah, yeah. Uh, like, or, the or <laughs> like the Silmarillion like the Silmarillion 
You know, and, it, and it's just interesting. And it, it, and it speaks a lot to how you can actually world build over the course of many essays, many novels. Uh, oh, totally. Many, many uh, short yep. stories and build sort of a, a framework that ties together over time, which is really right. cool. And, I, and I, mean, I, I prefer that, actually. Oh, yeah. I mean, one thing you're told now writing is to avoid the info dump, right? Sure. Yeah. The info dump is something that I think used to be uh, a little more acceptable mm-hmm. uh, than it is now. But that's actually goes back to what I was thinking about with the uh, the Malazan book, the Gardens of the Moon that I've been listening to, is that it doesn't do that either. It's like I feel like some people kind of just want things spelled out and explained, but I I prefer the more um, organic, the yeah, the drip feed of like you know slowly getting the information and figuring out. What are these bridge burners? I don't know what that means. Oh, I'm starting to understand what that means specifically. Right. right. Yeah. I do when I when I do encounter that though. There are times where I actually have to go back a few. Well, I I try to go back a few pages, and I'm like, did I miss something? Like, did I read? Like, they're referencing this thing, but they're not. They haven't said specifically what it is yet. That's right. But there's there's an occasion where I might find that frustrating, but usually I just find it engaging. I just feel like I'm stupid. <laughs> I, like, I go back and look. I'm like, I, I literally must have not read this part or something. Oh, no, yeah. I like that. Yeah. I, but no. now that I realize that it's, I'm starting to realize it is actually more of a technique that's being used. Maybe I'll start to worry about it less. Yeah. So anyway, any any other final thoughts or anything? Uh, I mean, I would say that uh, it's nice to be back. It's nice to be yeah, doing it. Yeah, it is, is nice, nice to be back. back. It is good. It's good talking to you. I missed you guys. I know. We haven't talked in a while. Yeah, we had a we had a real busy stretch. Um, yeah, June was rough. Yeah, we should be able to record a few more episodes over the summer and get back to a fairly regular schedule. So hopefully, uh, all our lovely listeners come back and join us. Yes, please yeah. come, please um, back. <laughs> well, I don't think they I don't think they left. I mean, I think we just didn't have anything. Yeah. Um, I would uh, li- I would conclude. Congratulate the Chromecast on their win. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. forgot about that. Foundation Multimedia Award. Good job, fellas. June June feels like a year ago at this point. Right? A long time ago. Yeah. Um, I'm sure other things will come up, and we'll pepper those into the next podcast. Mm -hmm. As usual, we like to uh, point people to um, talk to us, reach out to us, like our Facebook page, Rogues in the House, on Facebook. If you feel so inclined to discuss matters in more of a group setting, uh, Conan Gaming Group on Facebook is sort of like a sister group to this to this uh, podcast at this point. You'll find yeah. a lot of the same rogues frequenting that place. Um, you can email us. Uh, how do they do that, Logan? Uh, it is roguesinthehousecast at gmail.com. You can mm-hmm. also send us a private uh, message through the Facebook you can tell who answers those, and it is it not is me. me, almost yeah. almost entirely. He was he was literally asking, "How do you do that, Logan?" Because <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know the address. I know he didn't uh, know the address. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I got other jobs where I have to answer to uh, people on the internet, and yeah. uh, that's, yeah. that's, that's that's quite enough for me. It <laughs> uh, doesn't mean I'm unreachable. Just means that I'm not going to be the one answering that. <laughs> I always share the info with everyone else, especially if anyone's named. So, yep. Especially if it's nice. If you yeah. Nice yeah. <laughs> uh, Reviews always help. Reviews always help. 
reviews help, and uh, obviously it's it's nice too if if you think of others uh, that would appreciate this or other, you know, or if you have other podcasts that you think we should check out as well, please let us know. Let's keep this whole thing circular. Let's keep yeah. it keep it rolling, like a like an eternal symbiotic relationship. That's right. All right, and on that note, we'll close it out. Uh, upcoming uh, shows that we're talking about, just to kind of throw a little teaser out there, uh, probably the two big ones that come to mind right now, um, Cosmic Horror in Sword and Sorcery. I think we want to do one on that. I don't know when that's going to happen, but we're, we're talking about that. Um, shared Worlds, um, sort of piggybacking on the Cosmic Horror thing. I think um, sort of uh, the Lovecraft, uh, Robert Howard, uh, Robert, uh, Robert E. Howard influence uh, and how that translates into uh, some modern day ideas. Uh, I think also we'll be tossing out a uh, cartoon one pretty soon. Oh and, yeah, and we've we're been definitely, talking about cartoons. Yeah, that might be the next one we do. Actually, I would dig that. That might be because that's like one we don't have to think too hard on. Yeah, uh, we have to do our, our focus on Equestria, uh, the My Little Pony oh, episode. I, yeah. Yes. So don't forget that. Friendship, Friendship is, is magic. magic. <laughs> I have never seen an episode of that just for reference. Yeah, I bet you have. I actually, when you guys said that, I was confused. I was imagining the ponies shooting rainbows out of their bellies, and then I was like, "That's, that's Care Bears." That's Care Bears. Yeah, uh, they Care make Bears. fun of it on Bob's Burgers a little bit, and I've watched Bob's Burgers religiously. That's so. a great show. I love yeah. that should, show. Should we share a message in caring at the end? There, the Care Bears share a message in caring. Absolutely not. Okay. We could do the Care Bear stare if that helps. The Care Bear uh, countdown. Let's do the Care Bear. I don't countdown. know what that is. <laughs> I don't know what that is. So anyway, a lot of things that they did. Apparently. Anyway, let's bail us out of this one. Uh, so I think yeah, cartoons might be one that we cover pretty soon. I think um, our general audience will will dig that. Uh, we definitely also have to jump into um, some Sword and Planet as well. Oh yeah. Gonna, and maybe Weird West at some point. We're going to spread our wings a little here and there. Got some interviews in mind, too, that we might want to do. So there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yep, a lot of good stuff. Yeah. So we're back, ladies and gentlemen. And may your swords always remain sharp. Final countdown. It's the final countdown. 
Do not put that. Do not put that on as the end. You need to put that on there as the end. Do not do that. We're heading to Venus. Venus.